Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Where has that week gone? It's absolutely crazy. Anyway, hope you're well. Uh, welcome to another episode, episode number 14 of the podcast. Um, I'd like to introduce you this week to the wonderful world of Burbo Couture. I caught up with my fellow Brummie a few weeks ago and uh, yeah, it was a great conversation, really relaxed chat about his business, the importance of a personal brand and also what he's up to in the future. So I hope you enjoy this and as always, I will see you on the other side. Hey, Burbo, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Are you good? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. I've had a good day. I've had a good day. What have you been up to today? Anything special in your world? Um, I've been doing, well, I've been doing the glamorous task of a bit of admin this morning, and then I've been right. working on a commission. Ah, oh, sounds cool. That's good. Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm so delighted to hear from you today because... I think it's fair to say you've probably got quite an interesting story to tell us about you and your brand, um, which is wonderful. And that's exactly what we're trying to trying to get here. So do you want to tell us a bit about what you're up to at the moment? What's what what tell us a bit about the brand and, and the shop and, and where you're at? OK, um, well, I'm Burbo from Burbo Couture and um, basically I'm a, a self-taught designer and customizer mm -hmm. and uh, stylist and uh, I just do my thing really I, I make my own designs my own patterns my own cuts and uh, and people buy them so it's it's very organic you know um, I uh, I have an idea I make it up if it sells I make some more yeah. um, I also do made to order um, on on my kind of stable of designs yeah. and i can do them sort of any size any shape any um any fabric that kind of thing so it's it's very it's very loose very uh you know geared towards Organic. what what the client wants yeah 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 no that sounds great that's great and you're based in birmingham my hometown which is uh which is wonderful to hear so where's where's your store then whereabouts is your shop um, I, I'm currently um, in a small studio, which I'm, which I have open for one-to-one -one consultations, and anyone who wants to come and have a look at what I do, yeah. and that is, um, I'm based in Helzowin, which is about ten miles from the city centre. Yeah, okay. Um, I've done the city centre and I've done Halzoin Town Centre and mm -hmm. <laughs> I've had quite a few stores yeah. in the in the lifetime of Burbagajor. Um yeah. but I'm I'm really happy here. Uh it's it's a nice small space. 
it's uh, enough to to sort of greet clients and see them and show them what I do and to do my lives on Facebook and to do my videos, my pro um, product videos and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it absolutely serves its purpose. Yeah. And you work from there as well. So you've got everything. You're pretty much self-contained there. You've got all your studio. Yeah, and all your well, business. my um, my this this studio kind of like come boutique mm -hmm. is uh, very close to where i live and okay. i've got my, my uh workroom in my house as well um yeah. so i just kind of make it and then bring it across to the uh the boutique yeah that's cool and how do how do people so you don't have open hours as such it's more of a like personal kind of bespoke kind of service is that it's, how it works like appointment only kind of thing well or? since since the um since the lockdown it's yeah. been more um appointment only mm -hmm. um although i am kind of toying with the idea of just sort of opening on random days for uh, the public to walk in and just putting an a board outside and yeah you know seeing what happens i yeah. i've i've had a shop um and uh it it was good you know, but times are changing and, yeah. and the way that the way that people shop is changing. Yeah, so sure. um, with with a kind of a studio space and somewhere that you can invite people to, they can mm -hmm. come along. It's kind of the best of both worlds as well. Yeah, um, because I mean, I did find that when I first started and I opened my first shop, mm -hmm. it was a shop shop. And um, and I had, you know, opening hours and days that I was there. and. Uh, and I found that I didn't really get, I didn't, people make an assumption when you have a shop that that's your thing mm -hmm. and that's what you do. And they look at your opening times and they kind of assume, which is quite right, that you wouldn't be available for anything else. Yeah. And because I work as a stylist as well, it was really weird. When I closed my first shop, I got all this styling work because people right. realized that I was free to sort of, travel the country mm -hmm. and do and do styling appointments so um so there, there are drawbacks to actually having a shop because you're you're actually you have to be there yeah. when you say you're going to be there and um and it kind of limits you as well a little bit yeah so it's freedom freedom you miss out a little bit there yeah. so let's let's take you back shall we let's go back a while <laughs> um now which decade well, I don't know. it's whatever we can do today that would be great but no you know what i'm a great believer of um you know our formative years and how they shape us as kind of professionals and individuals and creatives and everything else that we do so when tell us a little bit about growing up where were you were you born in brum or or are you from another city or town or what what's your i background? was i was born um in shropshire okay um i'm a i'm a shropshire lad yeah and um so you know quite rural um i come from a, a place called donnington which mm -hmm. is the, there was a, a big uh, army depot there and it was like an army base. Um, and then, I mean, I can remember when it wasn't because I am that old, uh, but it, it was before the, the area became Telford. Okay. Right. So yeah. it's, it's now Telford, Telford Newtown, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I mean, when I was a kid, it was like little village and market towns. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't very metropolitan, you know, it wasn't very kind of, um, 
you know you, you only saw the people who were around in your family and whatever else so i had quite a quite a kind of um a peaceful childhood really. yeah simplistic. um i mean i i did i i was always creative and i yeah. was always um a bit different <laughs> My okay. parents don't know where they got me from. They really <laughs> don't know where they got me from. Um, and um, and yeah, it was you know I had I had a very happy childhood. I can say yeah. that um, until school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when uh, you know you were if you're anyway in any way different, you stand up like like a sore thumb, sure. um, and the bullying begins, and you know you're singled out and everything else. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I'd, I'd always been very creative. I'd always made things. I'd always drawn and painted and things like mm -hmm. that. And, you know, my parents were very kind of, you know, encouraging and everything about me being creative. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I when I was a child, I wanted to be a dancer. OK. I, I'd always wanted to be a dancer. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, there was there was like one dance school within like 50 mile radius of us, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember my, my mom took me along and the, the woman who was running it, she basically said I was too old because, you know, they start they start kids very, very young. OK, like yeah. with ballet and tap yeah. and all that yeah. kind of thing. So um, so. I mean, but I mean, I was into like disco, really, disco mm -hmm. dancing and stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sounds very frivolous. Um, no, no, it's not frivolous at all. It's not frivolous. <laughs> well, um, but Do you I remember mean, what that... the school was called? Do you remember what the dance school was called? I can't. Know? No, it was no. in. It was in. Um, it was in a town called Wellington, mm -hmm. which is where I went to school. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, no, I, I don't remember. But I remember. I remember being heartbroken. Um, but then. Um, so I was always a bit of a performer and a mm. bit of a, a bit of a show off. Um, nothing's changed there. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, and then when I was 14, 15, I had glandular fever right. and, um, and this is random. And, um, and I, uh, and my voice broke and I suddenly had this like incredibly big voice. Mm. So, um, so I decided I was going to be a singer. And um, didn't really have any interest in school whatsoever. I hated yeah. school with a passion. They, you know, and I remember the teachers hated me because, um, <laughs> I mean, I went to a Catholic school. So I, we were taught mainly by nuns and priests. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, anything that was like outside the box was just no go mm. um so you know i was getting i was getting bullied by the kids and then i was getting <laughs> victimized by the teachers. mentally tortured by nuns and um and it you know but i i don't know it toughened me up i suppose yeah. and um you know uh <laughs> gave me some uh gave me some guts but um but i i remember like turning around to one of my teachers and saying you know, he was like, well, you're never going to become anything. You're never going to make anything from of yourself. And I was like, but you're not teaching me anything I want to know, hmm. you know. And and I'd read about like all these schools in Japan where they they take kids like when they're like six, seven and they they take their natural. Their natural bent and their natural. Yeah. um 
affinity with things Mm -hmm. and then take it and actually put them into classes and colleges that are really like suitable to their talents yeah and and you know so i was like well you know i don't i don't want to know anything that you're teaching me so I, I couldn't wait to leave, really. So I was I was out, you know, no qualifications. <laughs> Went to work in a supermarket, stacking yeah. shelves. Um, but then I started, I started like working in loads of bands. I was like a singer in bands okay. and they were all like, horrible rock bands. And I wanted to do electronic music and dance music mm-hmm. um, and uh, managed to get a demo together, um, uh, found a manager and like i mean i left school at 17 because i stayed on for sixth form god knows why (laughs) um i think it's because i didn't know what i was going to do um stayed on till i was 17 and then when i was 19 i signed my first record deal wow okay which was which was quite a big deal then you know it wasn't like i mean now people like just set up record labels in their back bedrooms you know what i mean yeah and yeah. with the internet they can they can get the uh the reach for their mm. artists and stuff mm. but i mean then it was quite a big deal to get a record contract mm-hmm. so i did that for a couple of years um and then uh the recession hit in 92 yeah and i had to get a proper job <laughs> so um i i just kind of fell into the um the hotel industry and okay, yeah. i was just naturally very good at it and kind of worked my way through the ranks um and ended up managing hotels and restaurants for 15 years wow but i was still doing creative stuff on the side i was still writing music i was still doing the odd gig mm. um and and i was still uh like making and customizing clothes because you know rewind briefly when i was like you know I was lucky enough to be a teenager in the Mm eighties, which I think was the most incredibly creative time for fashion. Um, You know, it kickstarted so many of the the fashion designers and labels and houses that we have today um, from, you know, basically the Blitz club. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and so, you know, we, as teenagers, we were wearing our kind of freakdom as our badge of honor yeah. so i was going around all the you know the charity shops and the junk shops and the flea markets looking for stuff customizing it so mm. that i could look like my idols that were in the charts yeah it's an interesting point that because i think i think where i i struggle at the moment with with kind of i mean i've got i've got three teenage kids and you know i think individuality was so prevalent in the 80s do you know what i mean everyone had their own kind of adaptation of of where they were on a different scale do you know what I mean I mean I remember being also in Birmingham and you know that whole new romantic electronic you know bands like Japan and Depeche Mode and Erasure and all those types of bands you know there was a very distinctive look but then you've got a different genre with a completely different look whether it was rock or whatever and I just think when people went out and when they styled themselves, they definitely had, there was, there was just more creativity. People wanted to, you know, it's funny, you know, as we're talking now, I'm thinking about, I had a pair of loafers when loafers were really trendy. Well, they were in my town. And I remember spraying the toggle, you know, the, like the toggle bits, the bits on Mm. the front gold with gold car paint. And I remember walking down the street and these solid toggles were literally just flapping up and down as I was walking. But I think for me, it's just that it's that level of of just kind of 
putting it out there and just seeing what worked. And I think we've kind of lost that a little bit to some extent, especially with the teenagers, you know? We have totally, because I mean, I always describe it as like people had their tribe. Yeah. Um, and the, the music and the look went hand in hand for mm-hmm. each different tribe. So yeah. you had, you know, your punks, your new romantic, you yeah. had your soul boys, you know, all these different tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all had a look. But within the tribe, people were pushing the look and pushing the boundaries of the look as well yeah. to try and stand out within their own tribe. Sure, so yeah. it, it was such a, a big time for like experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I, I mean, I've got a niece and nephew, like 17 and 20 year old. And, and I, I'll say to them, you know, don't, don't you ever dress up, mm-hmm. you know, like, or like try something new. <laughs> cause, cause I, I mean, you know, you go through town centers and city centers and you see kind of like, you know, the 15 to 25 year olds and it's a pair of joggers and a hoodie and a snapback. And, you know, and, and, you know, you get the, you get the gist that some of them are very, very expensive, Mm -hmm. you know, and the trainers, you know, and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be quite controversial now, but at the end of the day, (laughs) they all look like they're in baby grows. Right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. There's no no shape. There's yeah. no style. Yeah, there's no, yeah. you know, it's just literally dress for comfort, like mm-hmm. a baby in a pram. Yeah, yeah. And and I just think, grow up. Yeah. Find I, some I think style. You, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've hit a nail on the head there. The price is the barometer of their style. That's the key, isn't it? You know, so if you're not spending £150 on a pair of trainers, they're not stylish. And that's unfortunate. That, And I don't know what's kind of generated that, whether it's just peer pressure or just this lack of being able to step back and just kind of be their own barometer on what they feel is is pushing the needle for them a little bit, you know? I, mm. I don't know. It's it's a really strange one. But it's... Um, yeah, it is. It, it is. And I think that's probably where you kind of you kind of led ahead there, because it sounds to me as if you were creative and you will st- worse. You was still doing all the stuff that you enjoyed doing. Um, and you just thought, you know what, I'm just doing it anyway. And so when you when you were working in the hotels, did you did you get a chance to be creative there? And again, just an interesting question. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I was kind of running around in a three piece suit and a very smart haircut, um, you know, being Mr. Maitre D and whatever. Um, mm. And then kind of on my days off and my nights off and whatever, I was going out to clubs and I was, you know, wearing things that I'd made myself and, you know, living living a bit of a double life, really. Um, but I mean, that's not to say that I was escaping because I I did really enjoy my work and I was, you know, I got a lot out of it because I was, I was very good at it. So, um, but then I got to the point where, um, I left the hotel trade for various reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, (laughs) the hotel trade now isn't the hotel trade that I came up through the ranks in you know, the standards and the the costings and everything else, you know, it's not, I was brought up in like um, fine dining a la carte restaurants, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's just not, it's just not the same anymore. So I, so I, I felt a bit, I felt like a bit like a dinosaur. I felt a bit, you know, out of place and kind of things. So, um, 
so I decided to leave and 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 made the conscious decision to actually leave the, the trade. So in the meantime, so after that, I went to work for a government organization called Business Link, which was mm -hmm. basically um, a, a support um, organization for startup businesses and high growth businesses. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I've, you know, I've got a kind of inkling that I'd like to do something for myself. So, you know, I might pick up a few tips. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I went to work for them. My my way into that was actually to do their events because they hired me to organize their events because they knew that I knew about conferences and stuff. Mm -hmm. So um so I got in there and then I kind of started working in the the um business startup department and all that kind of thing. And then of course, um when uh the then conservative and um the coalition government came in they closed down all the quangos that um labor had set up so all the the business link uh offices were all closed yeah so we all got made redundant so i'd been there a few years and i had a nice little package redundancy package and um and i thought right okay let's do it yeah and I went self-employed, and that was nearly nine years ago. Wow. Okay. Okay. And how difficult? How has the business changed in those nine years? I mean, you know, when you've got when you've got a bit of cash and you think, right, this is my opportunity. How? What kind of? Just talk us through there, Burbo, about some of the challenges you had in the early days. What? What, what kind of? Where? Where the issues were? Were there any issues, or did you literally just start and it all started working? No, no. It was the first couple of years. It was horrible. Um, yeah. it was, uh, cause I made the huge mistake of getting a shop, mm -hmm. um, straight away, you know, and I didn't have, um, a secure client base that, that I knew I could rely on. Yeah. I, you know, I, it, it's, it's really, really, really tempting when all your friends and your family are telling you that what you're doing is brilliant and sh you should open a shop. Yeah. It's really tempting to do so. And then six months in you know, and you've got no customers coming through the door. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I've made a real big cock up here. Yeah. Um, and, um, so I did that. I, I had the shop for about a year and then I didn't renew my lease. I, I left and, um, and I, uh, started working from home again mm -hmm. and, and started sort of getting orders online and stuff. And I started stocking in other boutiques as well um and then just basically very slowly built up my client base yeah um and then to then get to a point where i actually needed a space for clients to come to me mm -hmm. so it was it was kind of well i've got to have somewhere because so many people are saying well i want to come see you in person and i want yeah. to come for a fitting and i yeah. want to come and have a look for myself um so yeah so that's the way i should have done it originally but yeah. you live and learn yeah. um so so yeah so since then um i had um i had a boutique in the jewelry quarter mm -hmm. which was very nice um and then the uh the Birmingham City Council started selling off some of the big premises and buildings in the Jewelry Quarter. So I uh, decided to leave and um, I went into uh, a friend of mine had a three story shop called Tabuki Lane. She's a, an artist um, and uh, and she does some shabby chic furniture and things like that. So mm -hmm. she said, well, why don't you have the, the, the first floor in my shop? Because our, our, you know, our businesses really com complemented each other. Mm -hmm. um, so I moved in there and uh, we were going great guns. 
And then COVID happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Why did you have to say that? Yeah. Um, so, so she uh, decided not to renew her lease on the shop, which is fair enough, you know, yeah. because, you know, she'd been closed for the best part of a year. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that closed and then, uh, the girls who've got the barbershop here, cause I'm above a barbershop here. Um, okay. and just down the hall from a, a lady's hairdresser as well. So it's a bit of a day out if you come along. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so here I am. So I, it's like, I, the business is the same. Yeah. I've had I've had probably about six different premises in in nine years, mm -hmm. but it's always kind of the same, the same ethos, the same you know, yeah. and my clients follow me wherever I go. Yeah, so yeah. you know, it's it's not like I've been like had a shop and then moved to different shops mm. and then had to start again with a new client base. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's the power of the internet, isn't it? So, yeah, I yeah. think for me, you know, what, what again, I, I, you know, we've, we've had a couple of conversations, but it seems to me you have this wonderful adaptability, you know, because there's, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about personal branding because, you know, it, it's quite, it's quite obvious that people are buying your product with you you know, from you because of you. And I just wanted to ask the question, you know, do you think it's important for, for brand owners or creatives or anything else to, to really develop their personal brand as well? Because a lot of people hide behind their art or their craft, don't they? Do you know what I mean? And I think, yeah. I think sometimes it's really nice to see the person behind the brand, hence, hence the name of the podcast. Well, yeah. And the thing is, I mean, it can be a double-edged sword. I mean, mm. initially, because um, we had that conversation, I was telling you about that time. I, I had my first shop and I had a, a lovely girl come work with me um, as an intern. She was doing a degree in fashion and she came to work with me for a few weeks uh, for some uh, experience. And um, not that I could teach her anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just company, really. <laughs> um, so, um, so... The one day uh, she had the keys to the shop and the one day I turned up, I was late. I was flustered. I'd got up late. I had to walk the dog, etc. Um, And I turned up in a pair of joggers and a T-shirt and a beanie. Mm -hmm. And she just looked me up and down and she said, how dare you come to your own shop dressed like that? And I was like, well, you know, I was in a rush and it's not busy on a Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, no, she said, I've been in the shop for two weeks. She said, and every person who walks through that door mm. is coming in to buy a little piece of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really, that really hit me. I mean, there'd been kind of like on the internet, you know, people had started saying you are your brand mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. But you, you, you know, sometimes you look at things and you think, well, it's just another buzzword that's just going to, you know, fizzle yeah. out. Yeah. But, it's become more and more apparent that people who have small businesses, they are their brand. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the people, my clients, I always say that my clients, um, my friends become my clients and my clients become my friends. Yeah. And it's true because, you know, the people who come back time and time and time again have become very, very dear friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and support me through thick and thin. And I think that's, because I am my brand, because I, I I live and breathe it, and 
I mean, it can get a, a bit boring sometimes, you know. I'm sure I'm sure I bore people to death because all I ever talk about is work. But um, yeah. but you know, but like I say, it can be a double-edged sword because because there is that awareness that you are your brand. Mm. You do get people who develop a brand around themselves, but then haven't got the the product to back it up. The substance, yeah, 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 and that that's quite dangerous. Because, you know, if you if you if you've got like a group of friends and whatever and people close to you, you're telling you, you know, you're amazing and, you know, you're a genius and everything else, but you've got nothing to back it up, then mm. how are you, how are you going to retain that client? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's a transaction. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely get that. I think you're absolutely bang on there. And, and how do you think... Um... With regards to your customers then, obviously you've got this loyal, loyal customers and everything else. Where are you getting your inspiration then from, Burbo? Where are you, how are you looking at things? You know, we had this conversation a couple of days ago and, and I, I listened to you talking about fabric, you know. I've never known anybody get so excited about a roll of fabric <laughs> in my life, you know. And that's what, that, I mean, it's wonderful to hear. But just just tell us how you... You know, what sets you in mind? Talk us a little bit through the process of, of how you go from an idea or a vision or you see something or you get inspiration from something else. How do you put that together in your collection? Um, I, I tend to go, I, I purposely go against the grain mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I'll, I, I do look at fashion magazines and I do look at fashion websites and I look at other designers and the collections and I look at the trend reports and everything else. I mean, it, it is, you know, if you, if you tried to follow everything that was going on, yeah. you just, you just run yourself ragged. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I, I, I look at things and then I think, right, what can I do? That's the complete opposite of that. Okay. Because then I'm going to stand out, aren't I? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like everybody else. So yeah. it's, but to pick out certain, certain qualities in those things to still make it relevant. Yeah. Okay. So it's still got to be commercial. You want to be so, slightly off wall, but slightly yeah. with it. So, so like for instance, this, this season, spring, summer, the 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 big things apparently, so we're told, um, mm -hmm. are silver, crop tops, and pastels. So, uh, you know, I look at that. Now, I'm not going to suddenly make a, a kind of all black gothic <laughs> collection. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, to, just to be contrary, I'm not going to yeah. do that. Yeah. So, I'm going to pick out some of those things. And I'm going to put some of those elements into the things that I'm making or use some of those elements to um, when I'm out shopping for fabric or when I'm looking yeah. for fabric online and that kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. those things will be in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. So um, so it's, it's kind of like resisting the urge to follow, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And where do you, where do you get your fabrics from? Are, are you buying them from further afield or local or? Um, I love 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 to go to Barry's Fabrics um, in Birmingham and the Fancy Silk store, and there are some really you find some really really good fabrics still on the the rag market. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you go through the rag market, and and the thing is, the guys there. I mean, you know, I've been going for nine years now, so the guys all know me. They know the kind of stuff I like. Mm-hmm. They know the kind of um, textures and weights that I like. Yeah. And they they'll keep things back for me, you know, and say, you know, I've got this. You know, do you fancy this and whatever else? So, um, and you can because I mean, I know a lot of designers that just wouldn't even you know contemplate going to the the rag market, mm-hmm. but. If you if you go there and you and you kind of dig and you you're digging under like piles mm-hmm. of fabric, um, you'll quite often find something that they wouldn't normally sell and that you wouldn't normally find. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I've I've a couple of times I've found like pure raw Chinese silk. Wow. Okay. Rolls of it. Yeah. You know, underneath the rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls of cotton yeah you know and they've just because they, they, the guys don't know what to do with it because they think well who's going to want this you know mm-hmm. um because it's it's more high-end than their yeah. usual customers yeah, yeah so yeah. so you know you have a bit of barter and you get a good price for it and mm-hmm. you know and it's 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 all part of the um you know the fun of it the process yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's really cool because i know you're very much into um you know the the detailing aren't you there's lots of pleats and 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 finer details and such forth where did all that come from have you been inspired by i don't know film stars or or anyone like that with regards to that finesse um well being self-taught i i didn't learn how to cut patterns mm-hmm. um and i didn't learn any tailoring so when i started I mean, I started basically as a customizer and I was taking clothes apart and putting them back together in a different way and whatever else, which I have since taught at universities. So, um, you know, the whole upcycling thing, which has now become very popular, um, you know, I've been doing it for years. So, um, so, but the thing is like with doing that, you actually learn how garments are put together and you learn, you know, that you don't kind of, you know make a pair of trousers by two pieces of fabric and then put a big hoop in the middle (laughs) (laughs) because you've got to be able to walk in them basically um so uh yeah um so really what really sort of started me off as a designer was when i made my first kind of dress cuts Mm -hmm. and i thought you know as an untrained designer i thought well what what's a dress you know it's a front and a back there's usually seams down the side yeah um and the rest of it is up to interpretation yeah you know and how you wear it obviously isn't and it? how and how you wear it yeah so um so that's what that's how i started to make dresses yeah. um and i i love the whole idea of um belting and ties and straps to hold garments in into different ways i like i like the idea of i like the the kind of um what's the word i'm looking for the word um the difference between constriction mm-hmm. when you feel quite constricted in, in a garment mm-hmm. and then we're wearing something that's quite naturally loose okay um i like the idea that you can wear it as as loose or as tight as you like yeah okay depend depending on how you're feeling yeah or um and quite a few of my designs you can actually wear them in completely different ways so you actually get two garments for the price of one Mm -hmm. um so you know i like i like the idea of playing but then that also plays into the the kind of 
anti-fast fashion thing. Yeah. Because, you know, you go into the fast fashion stores. I won't name them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think and, we know who you mean. And, uh, you know, they're, they're basically, they're stamped out on a machine. Yeah. They're stitched up, put a zip in the back and go. Mm-hmm. And and people have become like kind of uneducated in how to dress themselves because the, these things are so easy to put on. You just throw it on, zip it up and go. Yeah. And you don't have to think about it. I want people to think about my clothes when they put mm-hmm. them on and think about how they're going to suit them and how, how you know, and the way that they can hide the things that they don't like and they can mm-hmm. accentuate the things that they do like. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll wear them in different ways. I mean, the, there's one of my dress cuts called the mirror dress. And I always tell people when they put it on, right, put it on, but always put it on about 40 minutes before you're going out in it because it will actually find its place. Oh, wow. Okay. That sounds interesting. Yeah. It will, like it, will it will literally, it will find its place to sit on the body naturally mm-hmm. um which you know a lot of my clients have said you know what i did and it did <laughs> right okay That's cool. you know so um so yeah so my 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 whole thing really is kind of anti-fast fashion think for yourself dress for yourself mm-hmm. um and and have a bit of fun with it yeah you know? yeah 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 no it's really cool it's great to hear that that you you know you've got this liberating way of putting stuff together which is one thing but you're also educating the customer as well which again is really good because i think what happens there is you know when they get that comment of looking amazing in one of your dresses they've also got the backstory and the education they can pass on as well to other people do you understand what i mean by that and i think that will resonate not only their choice in their purchase but also you and and your business which i think is really cool and what kind of things are you working on at the moment then burbo what what's how are you going to direct the business i mean i know it's been a challenging year and it sounds as if you've adapted and you've kind of gone online offline you're doing all your videos you're doing lots of really great content on instagram which is really good to see and i i I challenge anyone to go on there without smiling because you really work it which is great to see (laughs) but what what are you doing Working, baby. <laughs> what are you doing with regards to new projects? Have you got anything lined up in the future? Um, I'm currently redesigning my website because mm-hmm. um, I always, I've always used a self-build website because I like yeah. the, the versatility of being able to, you know, you can cl- completely rebrand yourself in a day, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but um, I've added a, a store into the new website, mm-hmm. and um, because I've, I've actually. It's a nice problem to have. I've actually um, been sort of getting clients coming through who were looking for higher end pieces. Okay. So, um, you know, uh, more detail, higher end fabrics, Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. So I've actually been designing a new collection or rather a new selection because, you know, I don't do collections as such um so i'm I'm doing this new selection which would be a a, a new kind of a new price range really um yeah. i'm keeping my uh my current store which i've got on etsy.com um and that's kind of like the the high street high street sorry um range yeah. um price range uh which you know i will always keep because i think well you know, I don't want to price myself out mm-hmm, from, mm-hmm. you know, the the clients that I've already got. Yeah, so, um, so it's going to be like on two levels, really. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with the things that I've been making. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a short fashion film as well to showcase some of the pieces. Right. Um, very avant-garde nice. Nice. <laughs> very arty um because because i mean the thing is as well it's like i mean i think we were talking about it before mm. um you know the, there's a, a real there's a real rub between you know being the avant-garde arty designer yeah and being the kind of the regular guy who's having a bit of fun and making some money from it yeah you know, there's there's that kind of like because I can't be the aloof fashion designer. Mm-hmm. I, I I've tried, but I can't do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I just can't because I'm too friendly. You know, yeah. and 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 I'm I, I like a good laugh. Yeah. Um. And uh, and I can't do that kind of, you know, high end. Oh yes, I, I'm the great Burbo. You know, I can't do that. No, I'm like. <laughs> You're right, girl. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, people ask me what I do, and I tell them I flog frocks. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> so, you know, it's yeah. um, and that's not like you know demeaning any talent that I have or you know skills or whatever else. Yeah, it's, it's just, just real, though, isn't it? It's just yeah. you being you, which is yeah. important. Yeah, because you know, I'm too long in the tooth for all that. You yeah. Know, cloak yeah. and dagger stuff <laughs> yeah yeah you can swear but thank you for not um, <laughs> oh yes i can swear <laughs> <laughs> so i've got a quick question for you before we wrap it up because i know you've got lots to do you've got this new you these new products to kind of pull together just out of interest actually you're going to call it the same brand is it still going to be under burbo couture um it's burbo couture um and i'm calling it couture couture Couture, couture. Okay. So, couture. So good they the named that, it twice. Yeah. <laughs> so, the couture, as in the way that my label spelled, K T U R E. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then couture, as in couture clothing. So, couture, okay. couture. Okay, cool. That's good. All right. Well, listen, you've got to keep us up to speed on that and let us know when, when you're going to release that because I'd love to get that out into my socials as well. And um, when are you going to retire? Any thoughts? I'm not. <laughs> good man. <laughs> No, I don't, just gonna I don't, keep going. I I always think that that retiring is is for for people who have had a job, yeah, and didn't like the job. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Um, because I I don't consider what I do as a job. It's it's yeah. a it's a vocation and it's a, a passion, and um, I and I just I can't ever imagine not having something to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, totally I very rarely go on holiday. Mm-hmm. You know, I and I think the last time I went on holiday, we all went, the whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you know, my brother was going, oh, you know, two weeks, two weeks. I was like, no, 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 no. And so we settled on 10 days. <laughs> right. By day four. <laughs> really? You went to come I home? I was literally crawling the walls. <laughs> literally um because i i have to be i have to be busy i have to have something to do i have to be no there has to be a focus um to keep my uh (laughs) to keep my brain in check keep it all going on otherwise it would just explode yeah yeah that's cool 
That's really good. All right, listen, it's been fabulous chatting to you. We'll definitely keep an eye out. And let's keep in touch as well because, you know, again, I'd love to keep contact with you because I think what you're doing is great. I'm really excited to see this new collection. And, you know, everyone needs to check out this guy, you know. He's he's doing what he does for the right reasons. And I think that's really important. He's He's been a little bit under the radar, even though he's quite, you know, he's he's not actually putting himself out there in the way that he should. But I think when you see someone like you, Burbo, I think it's really important to to kind of amplify what you do for the right reasons because everything you've said today and the conversation we had before resonated so much with me about where the industry's at and why the industry hasn't got the characters and the individuals and the and just the wonderful creativity that it, it has had for so many years. We're missing that. And I, I, you know, one of the reasons I wanted you on was just to champion that because I think what you're doing is great. And I'm really genuinely so excited to see what you've got coming through. So how can, um, how can our audience get hold of you in the future? What's the best way to make contact? Uh, well, I've got the contact form on the website, which is berbercouture.net. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do I do most of my um, correspondence through Facebook, to be fair. Okay. Um, so it's uh, Berber Couture Design on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Berber Couture Boutique on Etsy and Berber Couture on Instagram. Cool. All right. Well, brilliant. Listen, I'm going to put all those details in the show notes anyway. So anyone can just go into um, where they're listening to this podcast. They can find the details there. And uh, yeah, I've got, it's just been great. And thanks very much for your time. I know you're well, a busy guy. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm thank so, you. I mean, I, you know, I looked at, um, I looked at obviously at your site and everything and the, mm-hmm. and the podcast that you've done previously. And I was like, what's he want to talk to me for? Oh man, listen, <laughs> I, you are up there. You are up you've there. Got, you've got some special high end stuff going on there. <laughs> mate. I tell you. It's, it's horses for courses, you know? And, and I think it's, thank you. That's kind of you to say. And um, yeah, I think it's just a question of just, having everybody on that he's doing everyone that I speak to and I keep going back to this the values are exactly the same at whatever level of size of business it is and I think that's what spurs me on because this podcast is about the people behind the labels behind the swing tickets and sometimes you don't get that and you know you are your personal brand and as I said previously you know your the way that you do your lives and the way that you're playing with your mannequins there and and doing what you do it's so authentic Doris Doris, is it okay (laughs) bless her she needs some hair man just like me and you um but it's it's just so good to see and it's really what the industry needs it really needs more needs more of that you know and we've got to we've got to start working towards amplifying people who are doing good things so listen man i appreciate your time thanks very much and well, thank um, you thank you for thank the opportunity you. to uh, all right my friend say my piece <laughs> no worries no worries been a joy thanks again burbo take care thank man. you yes bye-bye Thank you, Burbo. I appreciate your time. Hope you had a good time too. Um, I can't wait to see your next collection. I think it's going to be absolutely amazing. And something tells me that this is going to be a great year for Burbo Couture. Next week, we're off to sunnier climbs, ladies and gentlemen. We're off to meet Sarah from Reclaim Mallorca. Goodness me, this lady has got some incredible stories to tell. We literally went from leather handbags, right, to extracting CO2 emissions from the ozone. Amazing stories, amazing conversation from a truly wonderful woman. And listen, guys, I'd just like to thank you again. I haven't done it for a while, but honestly, I really, really do appreciate you listening to these podcasts and your continued support. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.
Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com. Go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, keep learning, keep listening and keep creative.